word. Amen. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Father, we thank you, Lord, that there's no better people on earth to be gathered with than your people, your children, the saints of God, Father. And so, Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to be with these people. And, Father, we just uh, pray that you would just give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. Father, that we might know what is the hope of your calling and what is the glory of the riches of the inheritance of the saints and the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe. Father, we thank you that we purpose in our hearts to have uh, that our hearts are going to be good ground, that we'll receive the seed of the word, Father, that it will bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. And we just thank you, Lord, uh, that you make our tongue the pen of a ready writer, Father, that the, and that the teacher, the Holy Spirit, comes. And we just thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, just want to to, to, to recap, to touch some stuff. You know, Pastor Mark, I listened to the, the most current message he had, and he was talking about boundaries. And, you know, it's it's very, it's, it's a blessing that God establishes boundaries in your life. You know, they'll tell you, uh, you know, I'm, I'm relatively new still at this parenting thing. I mean, we've been, we, our oldest is going to be seven years old. But one of the things that uh, child psychologists and parenting teachers will tell you is that boundaries are very essential to children because boundaries, they provide, uh, they provide security. And a lot of times our attitude, uh, the, the mindset that we take toward uh, those boundaries, you know, what's the difference between a fort and a prison? You know, one's meant to keep you in and the other's to keep others out and to keep you safe. And so it's always good that God sets boundaries, God sets perimeters. And, and another thing that the Lord likes to say, he likes to set priorities. And you need to understand that it is essential for us to have priorities. God ordained and, and God set in place uh, priorities in our life. And, you know, sometimes, you know, one of the things that when I teach that I really like to stress to people is, is the ability to use a word in its context doesn't really mean you know what the word means. Because, you know, uh, most of us all, if we're all intelligent enough to where when we hear someone speaking and using a word that, and we hear it used in context, then we're able to in turn take that word and use it. And we may have a general understanding of it, but you understand that even the word priority, that word priority means it's something that is given attention before, th uh, before competing alternatives. And you understand this is that the world is full of competing alternatives uh, for our time and our energy. You know, the, the most precious commodity that you have is your time, really. Because money, amen, you can sometimes, you can make a lot of money quick, but sometimes you can lose a lot of money quick. But you know what the thing is? Is that, uh, you, you know, if we, had, if we heard the testimony of a gentleman at the church in, in St. Augustine that he uh, lost his job and he was unemployed for about a year. And uh, he got hired to another job, and in one year he made uh, more than what he would have made in two years on the other job. And so the point is, is that it can, you know, that money uh, that that can be, you can lose it quick, but you can get it just as quick. But your time and your and your energy is the highest uh, premium resource that you have. So in our life, it demands that we have to prioritize uh, things. Things there are going to be things that are competing for that. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. And I love the way God, God makes things simple. You know, religion tries to make it hard. Men try to uh, make things difficult. And, uh, you know, some people will throw out there, well, I'm just really a complicated person. And they wear that like it's a badge of honor. You all ever heard anybody had a conversation with someone and, you, and you're just trying to share the simplicity of the word with them? Oh, well, yeah, but, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm really a complicated person. What they really usually mean is I'm a confused person. I don't know what the first priorities are. I don't know who I am. I don't know what God's plan is for my life. And you understand this, that every person on the planet, God has a plan for their life that is bigger and greater than what they even comprehend. Do you realize that, you know, the Bible says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So that means that anything that you could think of that you could do for the kingdom of God to have influence for God on the earth, that whatever you can think, God's plan is bigger than that. Amen? And you understand that the reason he knows his plan, can, that he has a bigger plan for you, is that, <coughs> excuse me, 
God knows the deposit that he's made in you better than what you do. He knows your potential. And so, anyway, uh, looking back at uh, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching, and I'll back up just a little bit, and start with verse 31, it says, do not worry, then Jesus, he talks about, you know, you look at the birds of the air, they're not uh, toiling, they're not working, they're not fretting about where is my sustenance, where is my provision going to come from, the flowers of the field, they're not worried about what am I going to wear, he says, your heavenly father uh, clothes them, clothes the flowers of the field, he feeds the birds, and he says, don't worry then, saying, verse 31, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and you know, and, and for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. You understand? God knows that we need these things. And, you know, there was a, uh, there was a sociologist years ago, his name was Abraham Maslow, and some of you may have heard of Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And, and he, it's usually represented in a pyramid. And the first and primary thing, and, and what this hierarchy of needs is, it's just uh, details what things are needs and priorities to, to human life. And the very first thing that Maslow, that he lists as the very first thing that people are going to look for is food and shelter. Now, you understand this guy, he's coming at the, he's making this observation from a completely secular, non-spiritual observation. And in the world, obviously, this is, I mean, if you, if you don't have food, water, and shelter, you don't last long. You know, I, I kind of have got into uh, uh, going on uh, YouTube and subscribing to a lot of, uh, like, the wilderness survival and camping uh, videos because my boys are about to get old enough, praise God, where I can take them out and we can pitch a tent. But I'm going to make sure that Dad doesn't do anything <laughs> stupid. Amen. Well, <coughs> let me put it this way. I'm going to do my best to reduce the chances that Dad does something stupid, okay? There's always, you know, nothing's foolproof, right? And uh, they say that you can go <coughs> um, three weeks, up to three weeks without food, three days without water, but you can only go about three hours without shelter in harsh conditions. And so, uh, so these things are legitimate needs. And God is, is saying, even though these things are legitimate, Jesus says, if we're not to take any th- thought for them, uh, he says, for the Gentiles. And when, in the New Testament, when you're reading the New Testament and you see the word Gentiles, you understand this? It means anyone outside the nation of Israel. Because the Israelites, they were, they were, God's, they were God's covenant people, right? They, they had a covenant and what that means is, is that God had made, for lack of better words, <coughs> a solemn contract with the, the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, and God had made a covenant with them that he was going to be their God. And man, you can go back to Deuteronomy, uh, I believe chapter uh, 18, you can go back in Deuteronomy and you can read what the covenant was that God made a promise that I will make provision for you, I'll be your God. Uh, you know, if you stay true to me, you'll be blessed in the city, you'll be blessed in the field, you'll be blessed in your basket and in your store, your livestock will be blessed. I'm going to bless you, I'm going to watch out for your health. And so, but everybody, not everybody had that then. Not everybody had access to that. So, but when we read the word Gentiles in the New Testament, the word Gentile means people without covenant. Amen? So, if y'all excuse me, i got something going on in my throat right now. Um... But Jesus said the Gentiles eagerly seek. And uh, and it's important. Remember this word eagerly. They eagerly uh, seek after these things. And verse 33, Jesus says, But seek first uh, his, his righteousness, his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus sets the priority. Amen? And so he says the things that in the natural would be the things that would demand your highest attention and that would, scre- would, would really scream and compete. Remember, priority is there's competing alternatives. There's something that's trying to get your attention, that's trying to get you to give a disproportionate uh, 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 amount of your attention and resource to it. But Jesus says, look, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Um, how many of y'all, you may have seen the movie The Matrix? 
Some of you hadn't. You probably didn't have any interest in it at all. Brother Vane wouldn't have interested you. All I know, Brother Vane's like, Matrix, whatever. He, you wouldn't have. But do you remember the scenes? Those of you that saw the movie The Matrix, it was there's a whole lot of stuff that there's some spiritual principles in it. Now, obviously, they need Jesus, amen. But remember when uh, Neo, when they said, yeah, do you want to take the pill? I can't remember which one it was. There's a red pill, there's a blue pill. And if you took the one pill, uh, the the the, uh, the premise of the movie The Matrix was that the life that everybody was living wasn't reality and that it was just an illusion that people were trapped in a computer program that was making them think they were living in a reality. But the, the real reality was starkly different than what they lived. And so at this one point in the movie... Uh, Neo, he meets the guy, Morpheus, and he says, if you take this pill, you're going to see what reality is. But if you take this one, man, you can just forget you ever met me and you can just keep on living in make-believe land. And yet, those of you who saw the movie, he took the pill, and when he took the pill, you know, he woke up, he's got all these tubes stuck in him, he's in like this fake embryonic womb, a synthetic womb thing, and he comes out and opens up and looks out and realizes that, that all, all of the human beings on the earth have been hooked up. Now, and some of you are saying, what's this got to do with the Bible? I'm getting there, okay? I'm not doing a movie review. Um, but he realizes that every human being on the planet is their bioelectrical, the electrical energy their body generates is being harvested and used as batteries to run this supercomputer. And everybody's just laying in a comatose state being used as living batteries. <coughs> and But... But he got, when he took the pill, he saw reality. And if we will spit, now, now I'm bringing it back to the word. Now that was just, a, that's a, a secular worldly illustration. But you realize that once a person, the Holy Spirit draws people to the Father. The Bible says that no one comes to the Father except the Spirit draws him. You might think that you just made a decision that you needed to, make, you needed to go to church and get things right but the Holy Spirit was drawing you. God was drawing you by His Spirit to bring you someplace where you could hear the truth of the gospel proclaimed and that you, would, that you could have a measure, you could receive a measure of faith to receive that word and to call upon the name of the Lord and make Jesus Christ Lord of your life and that you could be born. And this is what you realize this, is that the, the book of Colossians says that when that took place, you were translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Now, this is important, and you've heard this. We talk about the kingdom, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat it, is that you realize that the word kingdom, it really means you have come out from underneath the governing. Because when we're talking kingdom, a person at the time that this was written and spoke, kingdom meant government. And government just means that which controls the behavior over, over a group of people. And we understand, going back to original intent, that when God created man, placed him in the garden, God intended for man just to be governed by God's word. And, and, he, and God told Adam, he said, he said, man will have dominion on the earth. And that word dominion, you follow that, it, it, it literally it translates into kingdom. It translates into authority. So God's original purpose was that man would be on the earth under his authority and that there was a plan, there was a purpose for man on the earth to, to subdue the earth and to expand God's kingdom and God's influence. Man was supposed to be a reflection of God's glory. And so you understand this is that there was a priority that God set for Adam. He set the boundaries like Pastor Mark just spoke about recently. He set the boundaries and said, operate within these and you'll fulfill the purpose. And we know that Adam fell and, uh, and he fell from dominion and that sin tainted the whole human race. And here comes Jesus uh, back on the scene because he's the plan of redemption. He was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. And what that means is, is that before God even created the earth, he knew man was going to fall and knew there had to be a plan of redemption and that Jesus dying on the cross was there to redeem man. And you understand this, is that the cross and that the new birth were not even, they, they were not the end. It was not the end. The new birth was a means to an end and that was, you go to John chapter 3, when Nicodemus met with Jesus and Jesus told him, and, and we hear this verse, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And 
You understand, you go back a little bit, a few verses back when Jesus is having this narrative with Nicodemus, and Jesus says, I say unto you, unless a man is born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God. So Jesus, and, and what the church has done for years, and when I say the church, I mean the church universally has preached and taught people, you've got to be born again, you've got to be born again, you must be born again, you've got to be born again, you've got to be born again so you can go to heaven when you die. And, and you understand that Jesus was really saying, no, you've got to get born again so that you can even, and, and see just means to perceive, to perceive or to be conscious or aware of the kingdom of God. So we, man must be born again so that we're able to attain, that the new birth is the means to the end of getting man back into the kingdom of God, putting man back in the position where spiritually he is able to be uh, filled with the, uh, to be born of the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, and be able to have that communion with God. Because when man died, it just meant he was separated from God. He man lost the ability. He he lost his spiritual connection with his father. We, he lost the ability to to uh, receive instruction from the Spirit of God, and that ultimately manifested in physical death. But make no mistake about it: when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they died. And so here comes Jesus. He's teaching, he's preaching, and he say, and you know, the example of the matrix was he realized when he took the pill and, and he pulled the plugs and got out and looked around, he realized, wow, everything that I thought was reality was just a distraction. It was an illusion and it was a distraction. And so, the, the, like I said, the, the, the Christian. The, the biblical paradigm I see from that is, is that once we become born again and we begin to renew our mind to the word of God and we realize, whoa, wait a minute. You know what? What, what do the Gentiles seek after? What they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear. What's the world's measure of success? How much money you make, how big of a house you got, you know, what kind of clothes you buy, blah, 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 all these material things. And man, if you, you know, and it's so ridiculous that they say it as a joke on bumper stickers. They say, you know, whoever dies with the most toy toys wins. Now they say it like that, realizing how silly it is, but how many people in the world genuinely live that way? They live that way. And, and you know, it, it's so funny is that how many times have people been distracted uh, by the things of the world, they're seeking things other than the kingdom of God first. And then a tragedy happens. Maybe a death in the family or, or uh, a chronic, a life-threatening illness hits. And then there's this sobering reality that even as believers, if we're not careful and we don't guard ourselves, the things that, we, you know, uh, the little shine, you know, show me something shiny, the little distractions. How many of you ever saw Up? I have, I see very few movies now with four children ages seven and under, I don't see very many movies that don't have animated characters in it. And remembering up when the dog was trying to talk to the guy, and he goes, squirrel. Like he just stopped in mid-sentence and goes, squirrel. Like that when he's talking the movie up, the talking dog. The devil w wants to get you to be, when God's trying to talk with you, when God's trying to set priorities, that he wants you to get squirrel, squirrel, something shiny, that there's a distraction but Jesus, you know, Jesus is setting a priority. There are things that are going to compete for your attention and compete for you, and they're all distractions that keep you from fulfilling the real purpose if, of your life. And I'm telling you, your real purpose, number one, is to know God your Father. Jesus Christ said, himself said, I don't say anything or do anything except for what I hear from the Father. Well, if you don't ever talk to Daddy... And if you don't have ever, ever had any communication with Dad, if we don't ever read Daddy's letter to know what, uh, Daddy's book to know what Daddy's plan is for life, then we're never even going to begin to to know the general. And 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 the and if we're not careful, you realize you'll never know what God's specific purpose is for your life if you don't first know what God's general purpose for your life is. There's, there's a rule of, the Bible is progressive revelation, and God is all about progressive revelation. What does that mean? It means he doesn't give you the whole ball of wax at one time. You remember, you remember when Jesus was talking to his disciples, I believe over in John chapter 15 or 16, and he, he's telling them, I'm getting ready to go, I'm, but don't worry, I'm going to send the comforter. I mean, 
think about this. This is a little nugget to throw in for you. But when Jesus is talking about the Holy Ghost, so many believers say, man, if, if Jesus, if the Lord Jesus was just physically manifested with me and went throughout my day, man, I could live this life so much better. But Jesus said when the Holy Ghost came that it was going to be better for you. That's a pretty stout endorsement, ain't it? Amen. When Jesus says, no, it, it's going to be better for you uh, when, I, when I leave because I'll send the Comforter. So he's got, Jesus, God has uh, set these priorities that we seek first his kingdom. But if we don't, uh, but Jesus, when he's speaking to his disciples, he said, I have many more things to tell you, but I can't, you can't bear them right now. And, uh, and so Jesus is, is demonstrating to his disciples, there's progressive revelation. Look, you know, I, I share with some of the students, we, we've got, you know, um, upwards of 40 students in Kingdom Institute in St. Augustine. And I was having a conversation with one of the students just last week, and uh, they were expressing some anxiety about, well, you know, I just, you know, I really just don't know what God's going to do with me. And I really felt like God wanted me to go to Bible school to be trained for ministry, but I just don't have any idea, you know, what I, uh, you know, what I'm supposed to do. And they're getting that pre-graduation anxiety going on about what am I going to do? What, you know, what's my purpose? And I told him, I said, look, I said, if you don't, know, if God hasn't revealed it to you yet then your purpose is to, to finish what he told you to do and then be faithful to the, the ministry that God's called you to be a part of. Be faithful to it. And you know, faithfulness uh, manifests in so many ways, and I can't help but you know look at it cause, because I know some people personally. Brother Van and his family have been so faithful to this, to this church since its beginning, since before the church, before we even had the first service, his family's been faithful. Rosalie and Jimmy have been faithful to this church uh, for years. Had splendid opportunities that they could have got distracted, but they've been faithful. Jimmy and Nikki, you know, they've been faithful. Brother Chuck, but there's there's uh, things that could distract uh, that could distract people. But you see, when we have a priority and we follow that priority, Amen. There's always going to be uh, production. And so I told her, I said, look, I said, don't worry about what is my specific call and, and you realize this just determine in your heart that you're going to make it your purpose to find out as much about what god's general will is for your life because do you know that god has something you know god has ma a magnificent purpose for us god you understand this? god go this is going back to original intent you realize but god's plan has not changed any he's had to accommodate something that happened but the plan was, I'm creating man in my likeness and in my image. Now think about that. God is creating you in his likeness and in his image. And now, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Amen. Do not underestimate your potential. You might be sitting here thinking, well, you know, I'm just a redneck from South Georgia. What can God do with me? Well, Billy Graham was just a redneck from North Carolina. And what did God do with him? Kenneth E. Hagan was just a redneck country bumpkin from uh, Texas. And what did God do with him? You understand that, that, but this is the thing. For us to get to that potential, for us to discover the specific will, because you understand, when I say the difference between general and specific, just learn about God's word, how, how the Father works, learn God's ways, learn how he thinks, familiarize yourself with the word and with his spirit and spend time and then he'll begin to speak to you about the specific stuff he'll speak to you about what is your specific purpose but you'll never know the specific purpose of your life till you know the general purpose of your life okay and so to do this seeking first the kingdom of god uh, if you have go ahead and turn over to matthew chapter 11 real quick You know, this is something that, wow, you know, I don't know, I may be the only person that's like this. I doubt that I am. You know, it's a setup whenever a preacher says that, right? I may be the only person that feels this way. But um, wouldn't it be just nice, man, if God gave you the 30-year plan? Wouldn't it be good, because Brother Van, again, Brother Van, he's a businessman. Brother Jimmy, he's in management. Wouldn't it be nice, man, if God just said, here's a 30-year plan. Boom, there it is. Don't sweat it. Here's all the details. You'd be like, man, that's awesome, God. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Amen. I got that. But more frequently than not, 
God, he just tells you one step at a time. Once you take this step. Well, what are we going to do after that, God? Well, we're just going to do this right now. We're going to do this. Amen? And so, uh, but anyway, seeking first the kingdom of God, Matthew chapter 11, uh, verse 12. Jesus is preaching, and he says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. Now, this is a really bad translation. And uh, you understand this, that one of the biggest things that, ca that causes some bad speculation on this is when you read your Bible, and I'm sure Pastor Mark, has, uh, you all are quite well aware of this, but you know, being redundant doesn't hurt anything. Uh, when you read your Bible and you read the New Testament, do you know that the kingdom of heaven is not heaven? The kingdom of heaven. If I say the government of the United States of America, that is not the geographic uh, it is not the geographic territory that makes up the nation of, of, Amer of the United States. The government of the United States is the, uh, is the political power that has rule and authority in that in that, uh, over the, of that geographic territory. You understand that you can go, Pastor Earl and Pastor Mark are in Nicaragua right now. Do you know that they can go, uh, what is, it, is it Managua the capital? Managua, Nicaragua, I believe, is the capital. They can go to the capital of Nicaragua and they can go there. And there's a place that's called an embassy that that dirt is American. That, that dirt is the United States of America. And that in, that in that country and in that country that's foreign, there is an entity that it represents the full resources, power, and strength, even if it's dwindling. Amen. I won't, talk, I won't start talking about politics. Amen. Glory to God. Those of y'all don't know, my, degree, my bachelor's degree is in government and international studies, and then I have a degree from Bible school. And they say the two subjects you never touch in, uh, you know, in polite conversations is government and politics. I mean, it's religion and politics, right? And I used to tell people I'm a walking argument. <laughs> you talk to me, I want to talk to you about what's going on in uh, politics, and I want to talk to you, and I want to talk to you about the Word of God. I ain't really into religion that much, but I am heavily into government. Amen. Um, but. Uh, that, that embassy and that soil, it has the full, it represents everything that the, that the home country is. So you realize when we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, it's talking about, again, kingdom government, where God exercises his rule and his authority. It says it suffers violence. From the days of John till now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent men take it by force. And the only reason I went back and revisited that is because you know, in studying, uh, I read uh, someplace where that someone said, this is such a baffling uh, verse to some uh, theologians because they wonder, does it mean that violent men are actually invading heaven? And I'm like, well, that's just the most ridiculous thing I ever heard, man. That's just borderline stupidity to interpret it that way. <laughs> but a better, you understand that this word, the word translated violent, it, uh, it is better translated uh Forceful or eager pursuit to press earnestly forward. So what this verse is saying is from the days of Jesus is saying from the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven, and that phrase suffers violence, actually means that it is forcefully and eagerly uh, uh, expanding and growing. Why? Because here comes Jesus to restore it. Jesus is coming in, it, coming in earth. You understand John the Baptist. Well, if Jesus said, if you'll receive it, he is Elijah. The, you know, the, the disciples said, how come that the Pharisees say that Elijah has to come first? And he said, if you'll receive it, John was Elijah. And because he started preaching, prepare you the way of the Lord. He's preaching and getting ready for Jesus to step onto the scene who is going to bring about uh, the redemption. But you understand, does it sound familiar like in, in the book of Daniel when Daniel interpreted uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream of this, um, of this uh, statue that represented the great empires of the earth? And he said, and I beheld uh, a rock that was cut out of the mountain without hands and it smote the image on its feet and destroyed the image. And that image represented the governments, but it says that that stone that struck that image and destroyed it, it grew and became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. Well, what is that? So if we go back here to, to Matthew, that the kingdom of heaven is, is, force, it is uh, forcefully and eagerly expanding and growing. Jesus said, since John started preaching it, this is happening. And, it said, and he said, 
that uh, that uh, violent men take it. Well, really, what it means is that the kingdom of heaven is growing, expand, is growing and expanding and taking territory, and f- and men who are forceful and eager to pursue and press earnestly forward are taking it. What I'm trying to tell you is this evening is Jesus set the priority of seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. But but you understand this is it's not passive. It requires that we uh, put forth effort to do it. Uh, you know, I, re- I recently read a book that Dr. Miles Monroe wrote, and he was uh, drawing contrasts between uh, the church and, and the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And he talked about that when they were delivered from Egypt, they didn't have to do anything. God sovereignly acted, used a man, uh, used Moses, a deliverer, to bring the people out, and they were delivered. They went into the wilderness, and God miraculously provided for them. They didn't, you know, even when they complained, <laughs> they got their needs met. And he was drawing the comparison about to believers that, uh, you know, do you remember when you first got born again? And man, it just seemed like everything was sunshine and lollipops, didn't it? I mean, God, you didn't need, God just dropped stuff on you, and you may have been doing stuff wrong that you didn't even know yet because you hadn't grown, you hadn't renewed your mind to the Word of God, and you look back now and think, dear God, how did I ever get blessed for anything then? But it was because there was a period of time, man, where God, you were just a, a babe in Christ, and God was just lavishing His love on you and giving you time to learn how to walk in faith and how to apply the Word to your life, right? And so it says, but you notice that when they went in to Canaan, that they had to work with God. When they, w- they didn't just show up and walk up to Jericho and go, wow, those are really big walls. And God go, watch this. And it just all fell down. They, there was a part they had to play. No, God says, march around the city. March around it one time. Uh, for what, six days on the seventh day, march around seven times and blow the trumpets and shout and get... In other words, they had to act on the word. They had to to do something. There was a requirement on their part. And you understand, the Bible even says, uh, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, it says the disciples went out everywhere preaching and working miracles and said, and the Lord worked with them, confirming the word with signs and wonders following. It was as There was a work. So... If we're going to seek first the kingdom, if we get born again, we get brought into it, drawing the parallel with the children of Israel. We're brought into it, man. You didn't have to do nothing but just believe and say, Jesus, you're Lord. I believe God raised you from the dead, and, and you're the Lord of my life, and you were translated out of Egypt, out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of God's dear son. And then we go through this period where, man, God's just doing everything. It's just easy, man. It's like that staples button. That was easy, right? And so, but then there comes a time when and you understand that um, the, the will of the Father can be, for every one of his children, uh, for everybody on the planet can be summed up in three things. You ready for this? This is theologically deep. Are you ready for this? Three things. The will of the Father is, number one, that everyone will be born again. Amen. Does the Bible say it's not God's will that any would perish, but that all would uh, it, it would have eternal life? The first priority for God is that everybody on the planet would be born again, born of the Spirit. The second thing is is that God wishes that desires that all born again believers would be filled with the Holy Ghost. And the third thing is is that they would uh, mature and bear fruit. And so you understand, but that requires. Uh, there's, there's been so much bad teaching in the church in general that it's that we've produced uh, a, a spiritual lethargy or, or laziness in the church to think, how many of you have heard people say this? Well, you know, if God wants to do it, he's going to do it. Well, you know, and, and, and how about this? Everything, people will say, well, you know, everything that happens is God's will. Well, that's just, that's just stupid. I, I, can I be that plain? That's just stupid to say that everything that happens on the earth is God's will. Because we know, I mean, here's the only, here's the the simplest proof. Is it God's will that anybody go to hell? Nope. God God loves everybody. God doesn't want anyone to die and go to hell. But is it true and is it a sad truth that people die and go to hell every day and are eternally separated from God? Well, sure it is. Well, then that one fact right there tells you that obviously everything that happens on the earth isn't God's will. 
So, but there's been this, uh, this idea that's been perpetrated in the church. Well, you know, it's like a spiritual case of Rasarah. Well, whatever will be, will be. Will you understand this? As that teaching has really kept a lot of believers from reaching the potential in Christ and the, product and the, the degree of productivity in the kingdom that God desires for them because they've bought into this, well, you know, if God wants me to do anything great for well, he's just going to cause everything to fall in, into place. That's not so, darling. When the children of Israel, when they went into Canaan, they, there, were, there were giants to fight. There were cities to take. There were armies that they had to fight, and they had to possess the land, and they had to put forth effort. And so we need to be conscious of the fact that it, that it does require uh, our, our effort. Uh, Jesus said here in Mark eleven twelve, he said, The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. In other words, that the people who are going to lay hold of or seize the kingdom of God, they're going to do that by forceful, eager pursuit or, 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 and pressing after it earnestly, that you have to get after it. Um, go, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. How many of us can agree that the Apostle Paul was a man who was used mightily in the kingdom of God? Amen? I mean, <coughs> dear Lord, Paul did, uh, did so many things for, the, for, for God, and the majority of the New Testament, he wrote that. How many churches did the man plant in his life? How many pastors did he train up? How many you know, uh, people did he lay hands on and send out into the ministry? I mean, the life of Paul... You know, you could say that uh, really the only other figure in the New Testament uh, that that uh, did more for the church than what Paul did would be the Lord Jesus Christ. And probably as, as great a figure as what Moses stands out as in the Old Testament, Paul is. Well, how did Paul get there? Philippians chapter 3. And... Uh, We'll start with verse 12. Paul, if you go back to the previous verses, Paul is talking about how uh, that his previous life, that uh, you know he was a, a Pharisee and how he lived under the law and he, and he was wanting to seek righteousness by observing uh, the law of Moses. And he says that you know he got saved. He got the revelation that he couldn't uh, live his life like that anymore. And then Paul says, verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained it, uh, or have become, uh, or have already become perfect, and and this will help a lot of you. How many of you, when you read your Bible and you read, you know, uh, the word perfect in the New Testament, you're like, oh, glory to God, perfect. Wow, you know, scratch that one off the list. I already blew that a long time ago. That word perfect just means mature. Spiritually, it's talking about spiritual maturity. It's not talking about you. You're flawless without ever having made a mistake. If that was the case, man, then Paul couldn't even claim that he was uh, that he was uh, perfect, right? But it means mature. He said, not that I've already become mature, perfect or fully mature, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of for Christ. Uh, Paul's saying, look, he said, I've not obtained my full potential. I, ha I mean, and you think about this as a man, all that he accomplished for God and his kingdom. He said, look, all that I've done, I'm still conscious of the fact that that I have not obtained my full potential. I'm telling you that you, uh, th this church and the people that are here, man, Pastor Mark is sitting on a gold mine. Pastor Mark is sitting on a gold mine because there are people here who, man, it doesn't matter if you've been born again for five months or 50 years. I am so uh, convinced that most of us, we've not even scratched our potential. Man, you have got potential. And Paul was realizing, look, man, I have not yet obtained. Uh, uh, obtained. I've not become, uh, I have not maxed out my potential. He says, but this one thing I do, he said, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which uh, I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. Now, that sounds a lot like, you know, seek first, right? Seek first. One thing. Um, one thing I do, um, forgetting what lies behind. Amen. You, some people, you just need to forget what lies behind. I thought I, I was meditating on a scripture one day, and I got a title for a sermon I ain't got together yet, but I, I, it's, I'm going to call it, you need to forget your behind. 
Amen. I remember when I was a kid growing up, you know, if I got to run around, I forget something, my dad would go, boy, you'd forget your behind if it wasn't attached to you. Well, sometimes you need to forget your behind because sometimes your behind will keep you from fulfilling your future. You can't drive into the future looking in the rearview mirror, can you? Amen. If you blew it in the past, join the club of people that's blew it. Amen. Moses blew it. Paul blew it. Peter blew it. So you're in good company. Just don't keep, don't waste your life looking in the rearview mirror. Amen. Uh, but he says, I forget those things which are behind, um, and I reach forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God uh, in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect or mature, have this attitude. And if in you there's anything, if, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you. Amen? So understand this, is that we need to press there needs to be a level of, of pressing into the things of God. But Paul, Paul said, man, I press into it. I'm eagerly after it. It's consuming me. And you realize that, uh, you know, not everybody, man, praise God, the majority of people, you're not going to be called to, you know, what we call fivefold ministry, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you're not going to have that. But where is the place? And, you know, we've heard this said so many times. Your job is the place of influence that God's uh, placed you in. And, and, you know, this is the thing. The Bible talks about promotion comes from the Lord. You know God wants to promote you. Amen? I remember, you know, a, couple, a few years back when we were up here that Brother Van got, uh, was it Cotton Grower of the Year? Okay? That's his field. That's his, that's his profession. That, and, and, and it would be hard to argue. A person would be hard to argue that God didn't gift him and talent and give him back. And Brother Van is a very humble person to be the first one to admit that every bit of success that he's had, he has to give God all the glory for it. Well, you understand this is that whether you, uh, you're the cotton grower of the year or you're a manager or you're a shift leader or you're office lead uh, or if you're just, you know, a guy working in a factory right now, but God, it, promotion's coming. God's desire is to promote you because the more promotion, the higher position he can put you to, the greater amount of influence that you can have for his kingdom. How many people are going to talk to Van? How do you do this? How many people are going to talk to Jim? Well, how do we need to do this better? How many? And you say, well, you know what? And you can begin to share biblical and spiritual uh, 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 issues. You can share those things with him and just get, you know, because the Bible says if we're salt and light to the world, and you know what? You know, why do they put peanuts and pretzels on the bar for free and, and, and give those up for free to bar? Because you get salt and they know you're going to, hey, give me another round, barkeep, right? Because salt makes you thirsty. Well, you know what? You just go ahead and give them peanuts and pretzels when you got influence, and then when they get thirsty, they say, man, you know, I need something. Let me tell you about that living water. Let me tell you about it. Amen. But you understand is that you can do all these things, and you can still make the priority and the, pre and the thing that you're seeking after is God's kingdom and his righteousness. And as you press and you begin to do that, Man, God will. God wants to use you. If let me ask you this: If God's going to change Valdosta, Georgia, or Lowndes County, Georgia, He can't use people in New York City to do that, can He? He's got to have boots on the ground, right? Amen. That's a military term. You got to have boots on the ground. If you're going to take territory, you got to have boots on the ground. And God wants to use this body. But we understand. Keep the focus. Realize, man. And, and this is the thing, and you know what, and, and, I've, and hopefully I've grown and I continue. My desire is five years from now to be uh, being able to uh, flow with the gift, to be a better minister of the gospel, to be, to be a better uh, uh, pastor on staff, and to do my role and my, and my call better, amen. But uh, you realize, man, you can keep, keep your focus on this thing, continually be refining it, and when you're doing, doing your thing, man, realize that God has placed you there and be asking God to give you insight. Lord, how do I press into this? How do I uh, press in more? How do I make your kingdom a priority? When I'm on the job, how do I make your kingdom a priority? Lord, when I'm at Walmart shopping, how do I make your kingdom a priority? How, you know, when I'm out and about and just uh, in, 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 in the public uh, circle, how do I make the kingdom a, a, a priority? Man, I'll tell you, you need to spend time praying in the Holy Ghost, man. Push that buggy up and down the aisle at Walmart, man. Just be praying in the Holy Ghost. Man, I just wait for the Holy Ghost to go, there's one, talk to them. I've been preparing them, amen. Is that, is that, but we're pressing in. You understand that pressing, it, it requires effort. 
and I'm, I'm going to say this and we're, we're going to wrap it up, because you understand, is that in the world, there is an opposing force. In case you just fell off the turn, got born again and fell off the turnip truck this morning, amen, you realize that you have an adversary. And you realize that Jesus defeated him and stripped his authority, stripped his power, but that doesn't, that means that in your life, you know what? The devil has no power, no authority over you. Jesus said when, when, the, uh, when uh, he was getting ready to be betrayed, he said, the prince of this world's coming, and, and some translations say, and he has nothing in me. And you study that out, and that literally means, and he has no authority over me. Because, you understand, Jesus was sinless, Jesus was perfect, and guess what? You're in Christ. If you're born again, you're in Christ. Amen? And so, <laughs> you know, uh, I never will forget uh, a minister named uh, John Osteen years ago, he said that he had a vision that uh, in his vision, uh, he was dreaming that uh, he saw a vision of, of Satan coming toward him. And he said that in himself, he felt fear trying to come on him. And he said that, uh, that all of a sudden, that Jesus appeared in this vision, Jesus appeared between him and the devil. And he's like, yeah. There you go. Bring it on now, buddy. You know, he said, you, you know, give, gave him a degree of confidence. And he said, and in this vision, he said that Jesus just went and took one step backwards and stepped and just completely enveloped him in the vision. And he said that what the Holy Spirit was communicating in, in, to, the, to him in that vision was, you're in Christ. And you understand that the devil, when he sees you, he sees Jesus. Now, this is the thing. It says he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You realize that a believer who does not know who they are in Christ can be devoured just as easy as someone that ain't even born again. Ignorance, is, ignorance can kill you. What you don't know can kill you. What you don't know can keep you uh, defeated in life. What you don't know about what God's word and who he says you are and what he says is yours in Christ Jesus can defeat you. So I said all that to say that... that the devil has no more authority in our life of a believer than what we allow him, but you understand he still has influence over those that are in his kingdom and under his influence. Because the Bible talks about, Paul said, you know, that, that he was hindered. That he was, that Satan hindered him. And, uh, and so he had to, uh, there was a pressing. And my point is, is that you're always going to face resistance in this world. And I don't have time, to, to, I, got, I got notes on it, but I, I'm not going to take the time to get into it. But there's usually... There, there are three sources I was going to mention of resistance. Number one, we know this, is that Satan will obstruct you. Satan will do his best to obstruct your plans. Just because you show up, get born again, get filled with the Holy Ghost, get a revelation of who you are in Christ, and get, and get a revelation, what God, uh, begin to get a revelation of what God's plan is for your life, doesn't mean that the devil's just going to go, oh, well, they know it now, I just might as well quit. Amen? How many of you know he's still there and it's going to require that you, because that word press, to, to press in, it, it uh, implies that there's resistance. You know, I remember when me and Pastor Mike, uh, the, the other associate pastor in St. Augustine, we were actually roommates at Rama, and uh, we, you know, we lifted weights together and, and we've had the opportunity the past two years to get back to lifting weights together. But it was so funny, we were reading an article one time uh, that back in the, 40s and 50s when weight training was first uh, beginning to gain in popularity they called it progressive resistance training progressive resistance training well why because you know the first time you do it you're probably not going to lay down and bench press 400 pounds you know you might start out with 135 you might start out with 45 pound bar <laughs> but you start someplace and there's progressive resistance well what's the, what are you talking about what i'm talking about is you realize don't be intimidated when the devil offers resistance. Number one, know that if God is for you, who can be against you? Know that if God's called you to do that, that the devil is not, the devil and every demon in hell is not strong enough to stop you from fulfilling God's purpose in your life. Amen. But just realize this, that it comes, man, you might have to push a little bit, press against it, but guess what? The result is you press against it, you've got stronger. Progressive resistance. So the next time he comes, we're going, no, we ain't doing that. Come on, we out of here. Because you understand. <laughs> Amen. You know, when I was in high school and I played football in high school, I weighed uh, 275 pounds and I bench pressed 485 pounds when I was a senior in high school. 
And uh, that was pretty good. That's a pretty good little chunk of weight to push around. I don't know. I couldn't tell you what I maxed out on squats because I never maxed out. I didn't want to take a chance on busting the knee or something up doing that. So I just do a lot of reps with you know significant amount of weight. But it's so funny because in high school, you didn't meet a whole lot of high school boys that were 275 pounds that bench pressed 485 pounds. And when I went out on the field and lined up against people, man, you couldn't, har- you couldn't hardly get two guys that could double team me. They put the offense, you know, the coach liked playing me on defense where they'd have to put uh, two guys on me to try to block me. And most of the time I could hit. And if I could get my hands in between you, I was just going to shuck you off. You, I was going to peel you off and go on uh, and just head for the quarterback just as fast as 275 pounds could do it on a football field. Amen. But you understand that there's resistance coming from the devil. Second thing that resistance will come from is false teaching. Galatians 5, 7, Paul was writing to the Galatians and he said, Who has hindered you that you have not walked in uh, the gospel that was preached to you. False teaching. You know, this thing, thank God, don't ever take for granted the fact that you have a pastor that teaches you the whole counsel of God, that teaches the word, because that's not the case in in every church. You know, some churches, man, they'll take you as far as the cross, and that's as far as they want to go. Some churches will take you as far as the upper room, that's as far as they want to go. Some churches, uh, you know, they, they they don't even get you to the cross, man, some of them. Amen? But you understand is that having having good teaching, the Bible said, you know, in Acts 17.11, Paul was talking about the Bereans, and he said that the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they listened eagerly to the Scriptures and they daily searched the Scriptures to see uh, if what Paul was teaching them was so. Because bad, wrong teaching can hinder you. Amen. We need to be students of the Word. And Pastor Mark, I know he's probably said this, and this is after, man, don't believe anything. Pastor Earl says, don't believe anything just because he says it. Get your Bible and read it. And know that what you're being taught is the truth. Amen. And then, you know, finally, your own actions can hinder you. Amen. That's probably where most of us have our greatest problems. Amen. Because, you know, you can't rebuke yourself off. You can't rebuke yourself away from you. I rebuke me in Jesus' name. Well, what would you do is fall down unconscious and lay there for a while? I don't know. Amen. But you understand this, is that God has equipped you. He's made grace available. Man, grace is one of the most misunderstood subjects in the Bible. Most people think that grace means God didn't whack you when you deserve to get whacked. That's mercy. Amen? There's lots of times when I was a kid that my mom didn't whack me when I needed to be whacked, and that was mercy. But grace is God supernaturally enabling you to do what you could not do in your own ability. And this pressing in, man, I'm going to tell you what, you just make yourself available to God and press into him and say, Lord, I want to be used, I want to press, and I just thank you that your word, I can depend on your word, that you give me grace, that you give me enabling, that I can do everything that you've called me to do. Man, I can, and you can proclaim like Paul, man, I have, I've learned how to be abased, I've learned how to abound, but man, I know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for this day, Father. We thank you, Lord, uh, again for this opportunity to be uh, with this body of believers, Father. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that the word has went out, Father, that it's found lodging in our heart. And, Father, we thank you, Lord God, that we are people who seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And, God, you just add things to us. Lord, the more we seek you, the, the more we operate within the boundaries, of uh, the safety boundaries that you've established in our life, Father, we just seek you and we fulfill your priorities. And, God, you add things to us. And, Father, so we just thank you. That as we press in, as we seek the kingdom, Father, that promotion comes from you, and that, Lord, you want to, Lord, you want to uh, uh, exalt your people and put them in positions of authority. So we just thank you for it. Now we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brother Jimmy, is there anything else I need to do? Amen. Amen. You want to leave, Brother Van? Amen.